You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. So, the title of this message is My Word. And I want to review a couple of things concerning this first about God's Word and uh, the mission of the church. And that's the first thing we're going to look at is the mission of the church, Revelation chapter 3, 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things say he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength, have kept my word and have den not denied my name. So as we begin, we see that really at the core of everything that should be our number one goal as the body of Christ, it is to keep the word of God. If we go back into the writings of Jesus or the, the dictations of others that wrote the things that Jesus taught, when he's using this phrase, and that's what our focus is on the message, my word, it's always in reference to uh, his holy word that he speaks. And you'll see it with a capital M when it shows up in the scriptures that way. My word, my words, he says. And so Jesus is speaking to the church here. And saying that you have a little strength, that's good. You don't have to be so strong. What's more important is that we keep the word. Like my friend that I shared with years uh, over the years that had, he died of a drug overdose. He went to hell and he was chained up in hell and figured he would be there for e eternity or at least until the lake of fire. And But God came and found him and that beam of light came and focused on him. And that's what God said. He said, that's my word. And so the power of the word that we just ingest, receive, it's like when we're evangelizing and we preach, you know, there's three phases of ministry and evangelization. There's planting, watering, harvesting. When we plant, we feel sometimes that people are not always open. We may say something, they disregard it, but in all honesty, they hear it and you're still planting seeds, especially if you are speaking his word. So his word is seeds. We know that the Bible often talks about seeds as analogous to the things that God speaks. So if Jesus speaks, his words go, a sower went out to sow the seed. That's a description of preaching, and we're going to revisit that passage later. But the mission of the church at its core is to keep his word, to know his word, to live his word, to build our lives on his word word to have that existence in him that is built upon his word. Now, I also see the mission of Christ himself in John 17, 6 through 8. I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. 
Now here contrasted with what I call the mission of the church, which is to receive his word, live his word, and have his word. Also, the mission of Christ was to give the word. So at the core of all things, we know that Jesus came to bring the word of the Father. The word was with him in the beginning. The word was God, it says. We know that in John chapter 1. We also will revisit that passage in detail. But when he came to earth, he came as the word incarnate. We saw the word become flesh. So as he walked and he spoke, his words were the words that the Father put through him. So he was a prophet of sorts. Of course, we know he was Messiah. But he also operated as a prophet in regards to being a vocal apparatus through which the Father could speak. In fact, he said, I don't even say things of my own accord, Jesus said. I'm not speaking my words. These are not my words. These are the words of the one that sent me. So as his mission was to come to earth and speak these beautiful red letters that we see in a red letter Bible, that's Jesus's mouth speaking. The words come. Thank God we have it written down because our mission ultimately is to accept that. And everything depends upon that. Even if, as it said in Revelation, you have a little strength. But hey, you have my word. That's what matters. I can work with that. As long as we have God's word consistently in our lives, and even inconsistently at times, he has a foothold, a stronghold, through which he can operate in us. That's why I seem like I'm always pleading and begging people to read the word and saying, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. But it's because this is the mission of Christ was to deliver that. Now, we often think, well, the mission of Christ was to die on the cross. Yes, it was, but that was just the culmination. That was the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae of his word. He came and preached and taught and delivered. And when he had delivered all the words, he said, it's finished. Now I have completed my course, my mission on earth. So it is our responsibility to take that word. So with that in mind, I begin to study out all the passages in Scripture that say specifically um, that about his word. So I want to start with number one, when we're going to see seven things about his word. And the first one, we hear his word and we cross over into life. Now I want to talk about that as we see this scripture. The first scripture in John chapter 5, 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Now this first one we're seeing hearing his word. That's our focus. Because we first have to hear it. In fact, the hearing of the word is what causes us to evade judgment and cross over from death to life. That means that his word is so powerful that just by hearing it, it can start a transformative process that makes us leave judgment behind and we're no longer under the penalty that the world is under. That punishment, of course, is the lake of fire. He's talking about judgment and then the lake of fire. But we cross over from death to life, there's a, there is a vicinity of death, there's a vicinity of life, and the only thing that can cause us to cross the border between these two regions is hearing the Word of God. Now, we think, okay, I hear the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So our faith, if everything is faith, we must believe 
oh, we cannot please him. We must believe that he exists and that he's the rewarder of the ones that diligently seek him. It all is process. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and is now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. So within Jesus, this authority that's been given to him to judge means that he decides. And he's the one saying here that if you believe his words, you believe in him, you hear the words, well, then you're going to be able to have eternal life. And so we start thinking about hearing the word of God, how important it is. It's uh, where everything starts for us. It's our, in our association and relationship with Christ, because without hearing his word, we cannot be saved. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how then can they, uh, these are people who do not know Christ, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? So belief requires first and foremost that you hear. You probably remember the first time you really heard the gospel. Uh, maybe you were raised Christian. I don't know. Maybe you were raised in a different religion. But when you first hear it, it begins to make a change. Even if you reject it, you're still hearing it. And it, as I say, those seeds are planted. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And the good news, of course, is the word of Jesus. It says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, came back in the Nazareth and he was preaching. It says, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the good news, preaching the gospel, was that people can come and know Christ and be saved. But that preaching had to take place. They had to hear it. Today, it is fulfilled in your hearing, he said. So it's so important that we understand. And we, of course, have to have ears to hear. What does it say in Mark chapter 4, verse 9? Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Meaning there are people that are standing in the same place, some with ears and some without. And even when a message is preached on a Sunday or in a church, we must have ears to hear his word. And it doesn't mean we're always going to understand or hear what's being preached. Just because you, you are hearing something spoken does not mean you have the right apparatus to receive the frequency. You need spiritual ears. And that's, even as I was discussing today, I was teaching uh, in, in an earlier service about this particular process. It says, when he was alone... The twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. And so in other words, there are people, the disciples in this case, had ears to hear. Why is that? Well, he gave them ears to hear, but it also was in relation to their choices. How do you get ears to hear? Well, you make choices to listen carefully. You make choices to keep listening until you understand. And you also invite the Spirit to help you. And this is where I say your ear quality is your responsibility. 
It's not God's responsibility to make you completely able to hear. You have to go after the ears. You have to seek the ears and find a way to develop them, develop spiritual hearing. Matthew chapter 13 verse 19 says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the devil or the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Now this is the first category of people hearing what? Hearing the word. This is the parable. We're not reading the whole parable, but it says that a sower went out to sow the seed. And as he did, some fell on the road, some fell in, in the thorns, in the rocks, and then on good ground. So there's four categories we know. And now Jesus is given the interpretation because to them was given the secrets. They had ears to hear. How? Because they spent time with Jesus. Ultimately, that's probably the best way for you to develop your spiritual hearing is just pray. Spend time with Jesus. Invite the Holy Spirit when you read your Bible. Never try to read the Bible without inviting the Holy Spirit to teach you and explain it. Because he's very good. Actually, he's very knowledgeable about the Scriptures. Of course he is. He's the Spirit of God. and We have the mind of Christ. We have an unction from the Holy One. We need not that any man teach us. Why? Because we have the Spirit of the living God. He can explain everything. If you ever come across a scripture and you think, I don't get this, just say, Holy Spirit, I don't get this, but I know you do. So can you tell me about it? Remember last week we were talking about the Spirit and how the Spirit seeks out all things, even the deep things of God? so that they can be revealed to us. The Holy Spirit is happy to reveal those things to you because there is nothing he doesn't know. How many of you think in any way in, or in any form the Holy Spirit is in a place of ignorance? You think there's anything that those... Another, this is a joke again. Of course, the Holy Spirit... It's not like, well, the Holy Spirit is not aware of everything. That's such a stupid thing to even say it that way. Of course, the Holy Spirit knows everything. So he is knowledgeable on all things. The world, as we saw last week, they offer you some wisdom. There's a wisdom of this world that is there, and you can learn and get degrees, and you can get diplomas, and maybe even be accredited and seen as valuable in the eyes of the world. But to that kind of wisdom, God's wisdom is insanity. And it makes no sense because the natural mind of man cannot possibly receive those things. It makes no sense. So they are spiritually discerned. And they are spiritual words taught with spiritual words, all that we saw last week. So we're talking again about developing this hearing. So we hear the message. But if we're not careful, of course, Satan will come and just eat it right out. And so... This is the seed sown along the path. Now, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. I mean, if you hear a message and just scream amen the whole time, you're so excited about it. I say this all the time. I have seen altar calls where everyone is on the floor, weeping, laughing, rolling around in their own saliva, and just glory to God, praise God. Everybody's soaked in the anointing, and then they get up and go back to their seats, and nothing changes. So what do we do about that? Well, that means there's, some, there's a deeper issue at hand. Of course, the glory of God will manifest to anyone who's hungry for it. Anyone who wants the power of God, the power of God will come to them if they invite it. Just Friday, I was listening to Alicia's testimony about that. Beautiful, about how she just in, invited Jesus. And then, boom, there he was. Suddenly, he walks in the room. 
I had a similar experience. Her story was beautiful. I'm going to have her share her testimony entirety sometime soon so that you can hear it because it's really exciting to hear how God has touched her heart. And all along there, we are developing these ears. This seed on the rocky refers, they get excited, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. So that means that part of ears to hear means you need roots, which means you need some type of development. You need some type of precept upon precept, line upon line interaction with someone who can teach you, quid pro quo. You need to be able to reason. You need to be able to argue. You need to be able to ask hard questions like Gideon did with the angel. You need to be able to say, what's the deal? Why is this happening? How can this be? And in that, that's where teaching comes in. It's very helpful. That's all, these are all ways you're developing your spiritual hearing. So if you don't have roots, it only lasts a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. I think about that moment when Mary and Martha were in the house and says that Jesus went on. He had just finished arguing with a doctor of the law or a, an expert in the law. And they said, what, what is the greatest of all commandments? And he said, well, how do you think? What are you? And, you know, he talked with him. Long story short, he went away. And then when he left that, he came to a village right after that, and there was a woman named Martha there. We know Martha, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. And she opened her home, it says. So Martha is the one that opened her home. Mary did not. Mary was apparently the younger sister who was in some type of subservient position to her older sister Martha. But it says it was Martha's house. So Martha had the right, and Martha invited and opened her house to Jesus, and Jesus came in. Of course, Martha was very concerned to make sure everything was in order, and she was working hard. But Mary was not helping her. You know, Mary was sitting at his feet doing what? listening. She had ears to hear what the creator of the universe, imagine the creator of the universe sitting in your living room teaching you. What a wonderful moment. But Martha was concerned in, in doing this, doing the other. And that's exactly what Jesus said when Martha said, look, don't you care that my sister's not helping me when there's so much work to do? I said, well, Martha, you know what? You are troubled and concerned with a lot of things. That's what he told her. You, you are worried about everything. But what she's chosen is the better thing. There's only one thing that really matters, he said. And she has chosen that thing. That is to have ears to hear what's being spoken in the moment. And that will not be taken away from her. Because once you have those ears, they're yours. But it takes a little bit of effort. It takes sometimes uh, persecution and difficulty and misunderstandings. And here we go on to say the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears, but the worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sowed. Understanding is the key. You will not understand if you do not have ears to hear. So how do you get the understanding? Well, you listen, but you have the ears of the Spirit. You have the help. You stay focused. You have roots, meaning you have been taught how even to hear. 
And Jesus did exactly that with his disciples. Why didn't Jesus early on open their minds to the scriptures? There's only one place it says he did that, and that's after the resurrection. Remember that when he taught them for those 40 days before his ascension. It says he opened their minds to the scriptures. I always thought, well, Jesus, you know, man, you wasted your time. Why don't you do that at the, at the wedding in Cana of Galilee? Why does it say there, uh, before he did the miracle of turning the water to the wine, he opened the minds of the disciples of Scripture? Because they weren't ready for it yet. There was no roots. There was no learning. So there's a time that will be developmental for you, but your ear quality is your responsibility. So that's number one, that we hear his word and that's what he wants his words being spoken right now i'm speaking his word does anyone have ears to hear it well, of course we do that's why we're here number two we believe god's writings as foundation to the words of jesus so john 5 45 do you think that i shall accuse you to the father there is one who accuses you moses in whom you trust of course he's speaking to the jews for if you believed moses you would believe me for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I like this because it shows us that the entirety of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it, all 66 books of the canon of scriptures, serves as foundation for everything that Jesus speaks to us today. And we must believe the writings of Moses in order to really accept who Jesus is. Think about how much you do not know about Jesus until you really understand the Old Testament passages. When you really start to discover Jewish culture, and the Mosaic law, and, and the requirements of sacrifice, and then you start to understand, oh, that's why he's called the Lamb of God, and oh, that's why he died on the Passover. Oh, you know, all the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies that were spoken. He, there's hundreds of them. It's amazing when you go through a fulfillment chart. It's incredible. It's a long study, but it's worth it. And Jesus fulfilled so many. That's why he said, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it entirely. And he did. So Hebrews refers to the law as a type or shadow of the things to come. So the Old Testament passages serve as a silhouette of the realities of Christ. We can see Jesus. You want to see Jesus study the life of Joseph. There's, like, there's more than 30 exact comparisons in the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph. So the whole Old Testament painted this picture. We don't always understand it, but that's what he means. If you really believe what Moses taught you, you would believe in me. In fact, Moses wrote about me. Did you know that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, his entire ministry was built upon debates concerning the law? He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It didn't even exist. He didn't have even his own letters that he wrote to Timothy and to the Corinthians. He did So that was not part of his Bible. Everything he had were the Old Testament scrolls. And he loved having them and opening them and speaking out of those passages. So he was doing exactly what Jesus is saying here to the, to the um, Jewish people. If you believe in, in Moses, if you say that Moses is your your father or your director or the one that taught you, then you would certainly believe in me because I am all throughout that. So it shows us that, that Jesus came to make a perfect 
way. And this is the passage I quoted a couple of times in Matthew chapter 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of prophets. I have come to, um, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, till heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus came to make perfect, that's what was imperfect in the law in relation to man's weakness. The Bible has no flaws, by the way. In fact, don't think, well, you know, the Old Testament it was a flawed book because we couldn't, it was kind of a failed experiment. No, it was perfect. The imperfection does not lie with God's holy word. And that's what this is saying. It is perfect, just no one was able to really fulfill it. Some tried, some were able. Actually, Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, considered himself, it says, as concerning the law, blameless. He said his description of himself, which meant that he felt he did every single thing it said in there. But we know, as the writer of Hebrews explained, the blood of sheep and goats offered again in repetition was never capable of truly atoning for the sins of man. So therefore one spotless lamb, the lamb of God had to die. Jesus came however before that to prove that it could be done and he did it entirely. He lived completely the law of God to surely fulfill its truth and he was the only one who could do so thereby proving that he was the spotless lamb, suitable for being sacrificed. And I'm grateful for that. So that second one, we believe the Old Testament. If you want to hear his word, he's saying you have to hear the Old Testament. You need to know those writings. And it's good. Because there are some people who camp out in the New Testament and they never read the Old Testament. And it really makes a lopsided believer. You don't have the structure. You don't have the balance. You don't have the foundation of a lot of the things. In the, and in fact, the whole, that's a type and a shadow. It's a proving ground. It's a laboratory where things were proven. And now we see it all spoken and clearly described. Number three, we abide in his word. Now, concerning his word, where he says my word, we saw first that we hear it. And then we saw that we believe it in the sense of it being in the Old Testament. Now we see that we abide, very important word. John chapter 8, 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now what does this mean to abide? Well, if we abide in his word, it means we dwell in it. In fact, the Greek word here, is always used to mean live with, as in when Mary, the mother of Jesus, visited Elizabeth when she was just pregnant. Remember, she walked in, and the baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb as Mary came in, and she said, you know, blessed are you among women. You're highly favored of God. She prophesied and that whole time. And it says after that, she stayed with Elizabeth for three months. Well, that same Greek word is used, abide in his word. It's like Mary staying with Elizabeth. In other words, you actually have to live in it. And there are some people who live in the word, and there are other people who do not. If we abide in his words, we stay there. Elizabeth was there, as that. So do we make a choice to live in his word, or is it something that we do as an addition to our living? 
And sometimes the word of God is like salt on top of your food. You're just seasoning things with it, but it has to be the main course. And you have to live it. Let it be the foundation of your whole existence. Do we say, well, what else is there, Pastor? That's what we do. We live the word of God. Well, I, I don't know. I might be able to contend with you a little bit and show you some areas of your life where you're not living the word of God. I know I can find that in my life. Well, then by what code am I living? Well, I'm living by the code of the world. How? Culture. What is your culture? What does your traditions teach you? All those things. We just make a lot of decisions based upon that. But we can, it is possible for us to entirely live the Word of God. And the one that lives entirely the Word of God, will the couple of things will happen to them. One, they will be completely ostracized and rejected from this life. No one will want to really be with them. Uh, they will be social misfits. Because if you truly live the Word, you are not of this world at all. And that's where a lot of times we do not completely abide in the word is because, oh, we're trying to interrelate with people. No, but, but if, we, if we completely live in the word, we will fulfill everything that it says. And I'm not saying I do that all the time. I understand there's a balance and we try to reach out, this, but we should endeavor. We must make the choice to abide there. I like Psalm 1, very famous. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is where? It's in the law of the Lord and, and who meditates on his law day and night, be thinking about it all the time. You say, well, how can I live in the word? Just keep it in here and it'll be out here. Always think about it. Always meditate. Let, it, let all the time, every day, create messages to preach to yourself or better yet messages you can preach to others explanations of the scripture outlining like i teach people to do it's very helpful number four now we keep his word john eight fifty, and i do not seek my own glory there is one who seeks and judges most assuredly i say to you if anyone keeps my word he shall never see death Wow. Uh, that certainly would be a good motivation for keeping his word. If you keep it, you don't see death. Well, what do you mean? Everybody has to die. It's not talking about natural death, of course. It's talking about the second death, the lake of fire, that when we will forever die. This is talking about that time. We will not see that. We will not partake in that destruction if we do what? Keep his word. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. They're always angry at Jesus. And Jesus is just telling them the plain facts. You keep my word, you're not going to see death. Oh, you're full of the devil. You're nuts. Well, we have to understand a little bit about this word keep. Keep. It's from a word teros in the Greek that means guard. It's a teros. It's a guard. A guardian to watch over, to guard. The verb form of it is translated just in the New American Standard Update Edition, the most accurate translation of the Bible according to most theologians. Continue, guard, guards, heed, heeds, held in custody. I like that one. Hold the word of God in custody. Ha, like arresting it. Okay, word of Jesus, you're under arrest. You take it and just possess it, keeping keeping guard over, 
kept in custody, observed, preserved, reserved, watching over. It's a beautiful word in the Greek, but it rarely is translated just keep. So to get the real inference of what Jesus is trying to say is you have to stand guard over the word of Christ in your life and heart. Well, why? Well, what, what do you put guards around? Do you put guards around your McDonald's French fries? It depends on what your children are like. Do you put guards around, you know, a piece of paper? It depends on the value of the document, right? So therefore, you have it. What is valuable, you protect. You put guards around a bank. Do you ever see them when they're changing the money in the ATM machine? Those guys have big guns, and they're ready to use them because they are guards protecting valuable things. That's what this word means. There's nothing more valuable for us than his word. Then why would we have to, why do you guard money? Because somebody wants to steal it. That includes you. You know you think it when you see them filling those ATM machines. You're like, man, if I just grab one of those sacks... Just, I mean, maybe I'm just a sinner and you're not. I know I think it. I just one of those sacks. I could just, they're not looking, just kind of walk by, sneak and take it away. And, of course, they're going to catch you. And it has radio chips in it and all these things. All kinds of devices designed to guard it so that no one can steal it. Same with the word of God. Well, who's coming to steal the word of God? The devil. It said it earlier about Satan coming, the bird, eating the seed. Anything you ingest of the eternal words of Christ, if you don't guard them, they will be stolen. People will come and take it from you. Information you receive contrary to it, watching on television, TV show, on friends or whatever you see, on documentaries, on newscasts, anything you read online, social media posts, all these things have the potential of reaching into the word you have received and stealing it from you with contrary ideas that make you question, hmm, so therefore, it is your responsibility to guard it. There are enemies of the word. The word itself is perfect and incorruptible. The problem's with us. So actually, the guard is not so much for the words as it is for where the words are. Where are the words? He says the words are in us, but if you think about it, when you hear the words, what are you hearing? Are you hearing with your thoughts and your mind? If I said right now to you and asked you, don't say anything, but I said John 3.16. You see it written in your head right now. There it is. For God so loved the word, he gave us only begotten son, the word pleasing him in that It's just like floating. It's like written in there. So that is a thought. It's in the, it's in the, the ether of the realm of thoughts floating out there. And you can grab it. Now, those thoughts are where the word abides before it transcends into the depths of your heart and becomes integral to your existence, which we'll talk about later. So we have a responsibility. This is where our responsibility begins. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So our powers, the weapons we have, because what is that man filling the ATM? If he has a weapon, he's a stick and a gun, and he's got another guy with a gun in his hand on it while they're doing it, looking around, watching and making it. And it's so crazy because this is Singapore. I can't imagine anybody even trying to do it. You should see it in other countries. Maybe you have. 
They have double barrel shotguns pointed at you when they're doing it. It's like that in Mexico. I've been around ATMs. They change it. You want to get away from there because they literally have the gun like this, especially in a place like Acapulco where that high crime area is where the cartels are. They have to protect. There are ATMs there. So they are ready to shoot and kill anyone. So what are our weapons? What are our shotguns pointed at who's ever coming against? That's what this is talking about. These are to demolish strongholds. What strongholds? That is the contentious ideas of the things you see posted on Facebook or you read in an email or you see on the television or you hear from friends and family. So verse 5, we demolish what? Arguments. Where are these arguments taking place? Usually in here. Because you're arguing with yourself about what the Word told you. The Word of Jesus is wild. It's crazy. The things He's expecting of us, that he, don't you think that sometimes? Like, come on, Jesus. It's just unrealistic. How are we going to turn another cheek? How, you know, all these things that are against our instincts. So how? Well, that is your natural mind arguing with what Jesus said. How can that be? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I think Lucifer did that in the garden. What do you tell you? Can, you can't eat from any of these trees? Oh, no, no. We can eat from all the trees. It's just this one tree that we can't eat from. It's a knowledge of good and evil. And if we do eat it, we'll, we'll die. No, you won't. See, there's an argument. So Satan speaks through a myriad of paths, and it comes to become our psychology. We believe things. We have an understanding of the world, but a lot of that comes from the world's wisdom. So here we have this battleground. The word comes in. It's our responsibility to pull out that shotgun and protect it. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So what do we do with those thoughts? Well, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I like this because it means take prisoner. This is like picture the vanquished foe and the enemy with the chains and the ropes being led off to prison. Sometimes they put hoods over their heads. You ever see that? Those poor guys. They're all slumping because they're conquered and they're taking them away. They take them captive. That's what you need to do with those stupid arguments that come from out there. You need to put them to shame. You need to chain them up lock them up, the first thing you want to do is duct tape their mouths shut and stop accepting their information. If you hear anything in any realm and you find that it is putting up a fight against what you've received from the Word, it's your obligation to take that captive. That's being a God. That's what Jesus means. Not just keep my Word, like keep it in your pocket. Keep my Word. Okay, I'll stick a little Gideon Bible in my right pocket. I'm keeping it. No, that's not what it means. It means this, to protect it, to guard it. Number five, our home comes from his word and spirit. Uh, we did that song earlier. This world is not what it was meant to be. All this pain, all this suffering. There's a better place waiting for me in heaven. I'm going home. So we have a home that is not this place. We are now sojourners in a foreign land, but we do have a home. Our home can be accessed not just in our linear time when we die and go to heaven, but here now we are made to sit in heavenly places. So we have a dwelling in spirit. And this is what 
I like this scripture. It's beautiful. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, how many of you love him? If Jesus walked in right now and just said, do you love me? What would you tell him? Of course, you, you know, Jesus, that I love you. Be Peter. Like, oh, you know, I, I, you know I love you, Jesus. Why are you asking me? Because he wants to know. Why? Because he's not asking you in question of whether you do or not, but he's about to tell you what to do to prove it. Feed my sheep, he said to Peter. And he's saying it here. If a man love me, he'll keep my words. There it is again. If you love me, you're going to guard these words. If you don't love me, you won't guard the words. You just let them go. You, don't, you like me. Probably, I think a lot of people like Jesus. I think a lot of people are impressed by Jesus. Like, wow, Jesus, this is awesome what Jesus can do. They don't necessarily love them because they're not keeping his words. I'm just going by the formula that Jesus gives us. And my Father will love him. So if you keep his words, the Father says, hey, they're keeping the words of Jesus. We already know the words of Jesus are the words of the Father, and those were given to him. So the most valuable thing in existence went from the Father to the Son, from the Son to us. What do we do with that treasure when we get it? Well, we just leave it on a shelf. We leave it. We chop a table in the food court with it. No, you guard it. You protect it. And that's what he's saying. If you do that, you love me. And my Father will love you if you do that. And you know what? If you do it, we will come unto him. Huh. We will come to the person that does this. this is the, now the Trinity's ganging up on you. The power of the word is immeasurable. Jesus is talking about the Father. And we will make our abode with him. That is the noun corresponding to the word abide, to dwell with. We will make our dwelling with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine. But the Father which sent me, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, okay, now this is the third person of the Trinity coming. First is the Father and the Son, and now they're going to get the whole gang on you. The Comforter, <laughs> which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He's going to teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. So the words are so valuable that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are taking seriously anyone who guards these words because our home comes from His Word and His Spirit. Our place of rest, uh, the abode, our address when asked, it should be the Word of Christ. Whatever Jesus said. You know, the things He said, because if I take those things seriously and I build my life on those words, well, that's like a man who built his house on a rock. My house is not going anywhere. You can send all the floods and the rains and the wind you want, but I'm, I'm going to laugh while looking out my window at the storm. It's not going to bother me. Why? Because my life is built upon the chief cornerstone, the rock, by keeping the words. That's what Jesus said. And the Holy Spirit is there. So God makes his home with us in spiritual realms manifested in earthly existence when we guard his word in our lives and hearts. So Jesus delivered his words to us, the words of the Father to the Son, to us while he was here on earth. But he, he knew he would need a continuous friend for us because he would go away. 
says, I go to the Father. But when I go, I will ask him to send another comfort. This has gone into the 15th, 16th chapter of John. So he says, a helper to remind us of his word. So the Holy Spirit's job here is to keep that word alive and to remind you of it all the time. The Holy Spirit is an integral and irreplaceable member of a team that makes us God's children and maintains us here on earth until the coming of Christ. Jesus is going to come, but he's looking for what? Faith. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, how do we have faith? Well, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. So everything comes back to the Word. So important. Number six. I like this. His Word abides in us. Now, earlier, we were abiding in his word. Now the tables are turned. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him. So you abide in Jesus, and then Jesus abides in you. Whoever does this bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Remember, disciples is mythetis, um, uh, or the mathetis, uh, which is a student, a learner of what? Of things taught, of doctrines, things taught, meaning the words he gave us. But how is this now? It's, it's changed because we find that the word of Jesus takes on a power of being as the subject and no longer the object because his word is that powerful. And so um, in the phrasing, it becomes more powerful. If we invite the word, and live in it, he will come alive inside us and make his dwelling with us. So how do you, you know, we talk about, oh, I received Jesus in my heart when I was 17. That's good, but how does he abide there? His word. His word is alive. It stays. Everything you do, you should live and move and have your being in him, which is in the word. And so with him living in our house, the needs of the home suddenly become easy to imagine provided. That's what he puts this in relation. If you, if you love me and you keep my words, well, then me and the Father are going to come to you. We're going to gang up on you. We're going to have the Spirit, and we're going to dwell inside of you, and you're going to have this kind of a relationship now because you are connected, and I'm in you, and you're in me, and we're together, happy family. Now, my father loves it. In fact, he's so happy now that you've made him a member of your household. If you run out of bread, he's got you covered. If you're having trouble paying the bills, oh, don't worry about it. Because God lives in your house. <laughs> if God lives in your house, why would you ever have to worry about anything? That's exactly what Jesus meant. Whatever you ask. Whatever you ask. What you desire. Ask what you desire. Whatever you want. Ask for it. Well, how do I get that? Well, you have to make sure the word is abiding in you. Every blessing comes back to this. We have one more. Number seven. I feel Jesus here. Two or more gathered in his name. He's in the midst of us. 
and we get excited about his word to get excited about his word is to get excited about him because he's the word his word becomes our word I like this John 15 20 remember the word that I said to you you remember the word he told you do you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me well they're gonna persecute you if they kept my word they will keep yours also now here this is interesting because ultimately this is our main objective in our relationship with the word that became flesh remember in the beginning was the word of course we see that scripture now John 1 1 through 5 and then verse 14 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and the life was the light of mankind light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it the word verse 14 became flesh and made his dwelling among us he or we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth so we speak his word if we do speak it so frequently it becomes our words and when we engage people in life with our logic in life lived on those words it flows from our mouths I don't have to say to somebody in 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 verse I don't do that when I'm preaching the gospel Bible says in Romans 10 9 and 10 if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth I, I throw away all those old religious concepts I just let the word tumble out of me because I've been sticking so much of it in me it's just my words now you understand that's the objective I think for the church that just we only speak like Jesus our big brother firstborn among many brothers he spoke only the Bible everything he spoke everything in red letter has an annotated letter near it and you can go find a corresponding Old Testament passage that he was quoting he just constantly quoted the Bible but he didn't say it says in Isaiah or well, sometimes he said it but most of the times he didn't his conversation was just spoken and then later you could see oh he's actually quoting this passage that passage the other it should be that much in us that's why he said if they kept my word they will keep yours also because the words that we live by will become his words that's the ultimate objective of power that we can live in Jesus is the word his word is his life in us his word is the light by which we live these are the seven things that we saw about about his word number one we hear his word and we cross over into life I like where it begins I remember I remember 17 years old opening that Gideon Bible and reading the words of Jesus the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end the first and the last the one who is was and is to come said that it described him and his eyes were like fire and his hair like wool and his feet like burning brass and a sword was coming out of his mouth and uh, that's the first words I read in the Bible as a 17 year old boy and that word 
was him. It was him. Because when I read it, he was standing in the room with me. And all the hair on my body stood up. And I was afraid to turn around. I felt like somebody was standing behind me. And I spun around. At the time, I couldn't figure out all these things. But when I spun around, I saw nothing. But I knew without a doubt that somebody was standing in that room. Of course, I was holding him in my hands and didn't know it. Jesus was nestled in, in between my fingers in a little red Gideon Bible. And I'm looking for him while he's there in my hands. I didn't know it then. I figured it out later. But once the word began going in. But at that moment, I heard his word. And already I crossed out of death. I went to the realm of the dead that same day. You've heard my testimony before. I went to my friends when they were all taking drugs and drinking and there was a big party going on. The acrid stench of marijuana smoke was everywhere and people laying out on the floor and on the couch drunk and big old party and I went to the realm of the dead. But just before that I had already crossed out of death into life. And when they gave me that marijuana cigarette, it was death to me and I couldn't do it. Although I had done it for five years without stop. That moment I knew something changed. That's what changed. I heard it for the first time. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I just wanted to say I'm so grateful, Jesus. Oh, that moment could never have taken place. It was, it's possible that it may not have taken place, but it did. I was able to hear your word. We believe God's writings as foundation to the words of Jesus. We have all the Bible, all those books. Please read Malachi. You need it. You need Job. I know you don't like it, but you, gosh, there's so much there. There's things important things that I cannot describe or teach to you without the book of Job. Honestly, you already know that. You already know there's important spiritual lessons you know that without Job, you just don't even know them. So it is with every book. A lot of it, you just don't know it yet. You need, you need Second Chronicles, every word of it. Well, you say, well, it's just like Second Samuel. It's pretty much the kings and, you know, there's a lot of overlap. No, not really. When you compare them closely, there's differences. You need a harmony of the two. Everything is important. We abide in his word. Yep. We dwell. We live like Mary with Elizabeth. We decide to set up our homes in his word. Live there. We keep his word. Get your gun out. Take captive every thought that's fighting it. Protect it. Our home comes from his word and spirit. Yeah, we now have a shared commune that we dwell in. That's what it means, you've made me to sit in heavenly places. I'm sitting right now in heavenly places. The Father is with me. The Son is with me. The Holy Spirit, they got me surrounded. <laughs> and it's wonderful. I thank God. Thank God that they have me surrounded. So much hope, so much life comes from that. His word abides in us. Now it's not just me going to go live in his word. His word's like, I want to live in you, man. I like you. Because I'm finding conveyance through your life. 
Because you stop thinking of the word as just a word. It's alive. So it is Jesus. It's just, it's Jesus like you don't always recognize it. I feel sometimes it's analogous to what, what Thomas said or Philip said, uh, Jesus, show us the Father. It would be like us telling the Holy Spirit, you know, show us the word. And so, well, haven't I been here all this time with you? He, the Spirit is the Word. Everything. It's all the beauty of God. And His Word becomes our Word. Let all of our words be the truth of Christ. Jesus, why don't we stand to our feet?